Hey fellow brain pickers, this is episode 115 of Can I Pick Your Brain? I am really excited for this episode. I had one of the most connected people on the planet, Jason Gaynard from Mastermind Talks, and we talked about how to build a powerful community, why you should keep your network small, how to attract big players into your network, the biggest mistake people make when networking, why Jason walked away from seven figures, and why he bought 4,000 copies of Tim Ferriss's book. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button. The more subscribers I get to my show, the higher I rank on iTunes, so I really, really would appreciate if you just hit that little subscribe button. This episode is sponsored by geffenmediagroup.com. If you want to launch your own podcast show or get featured on top-rated podcasts, then head over to geffenmediagroup.com. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hey fellow brain pickers and welcome to episode 115 of Can I Pick Your Brain? My guest today went from making $5 million a year in sales to being quarter of a million dollars in debt, but that didn't stop him from pursuing his dreams. Jason Gaynard is today known as one of the most connected guys on the planet. His invitation-only Mastermind Talks conference has a lower acceptance rate than Harvard and speakers have included Tim Ferriss, James Altucher, Guy Kawasaki, and Gary Vaynerchuk, to name a few. He's also an author and host of the Mastermind Talks podcast show. Now, as always, I've prepared a short rap to introduce my guest. Here goes. Running from the debt collector, now he's a super connector. It's easy to forget he was a quarter of a million in debt. I don't know how he slept, but now he's one to connect. MMT, that's his baby. He'll let you join, maybe just maybe. How's your integrity? Do you value the unity of a community? You ready for endless opportunity? It's time to burn the boats. Remember these quotes. Your network is your net worth. Become part of the rebirth and keep yourself down to earth. Now, without further ado, I welcome to you the networking lifeguard. You want to be in his yard. He's the one and only Jason Gaynard. Jason, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. My man, I felt like Tim Westwood on the other what? side, <laughs> listening to you spit rhymes. That's fantastic. What is what is what is Tim West? I don't even know who that is. Who is you don't that? know who Tim Westwood is? Nope. I think he's in the UK. He like he yeah. brings on rappers uh, like Kid Cudi or Eminem, and oh. then those kind of <laughs> yeah. basically they freestyle for him on his radio show. So if you watch like, his YouTube channel, it's just this like you'll have these like again these legendary rappers and then this just this skinny white guy is just going bananas <laughs> as a radio host just go this you know just you got, taking it so you, that's how i felt you got the skinny white guy part right but um the rapping i got the white guy part i don't have the yeah. skinny part down. no no <laughs> like, <the makeup> part. <laughs> oh man this is so exciting i i've been wanting to have you on my show for for a long time because almost every single guest that i've had on my show knows you and it's ridiculous it's like you know what's incredible is that it, it, it's like almost, it's almost like you're the Santa Claus that everybody knows, except that you're actually real, right? You 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 exist. You know what I'm saying? It's like ridiculous. In the flesh, I, I do exist. Yeah. So I want to go back, really, because were you always a natural networker? Was it something that came naturally to you? Um, like, what was it like growing up? Not at all. I mean, if I if I 
could identify with anything as I mean, I, uh, I definitely would identify as an introvert on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and also dealt with a lot of kind of self-worth issues as a child. Um, uh, and even up until, you know, my teens and twenties and even thirties, I guess you, you never really escape it. Yeah. Um, so with that said, I mean, I never, yeah, I was never a master kind of networker, um, or anything like that. I think one of the, the unique abilities that I do have, and I think we all have it on to varying degrees is, is, is empathy, um, and understanding people's wants, needs, fears, oftentimes better than, than they do. Um, mm-hmm. and having a strong desire to make people feel special, um, right. and, uh, unique and significant. So, um, so yeah, I, I have, I've always, even though I've, I've had my own kind of demons I've had to deal with and the, again, the introversion side of things and low self-worth side of things, um, I, I, I usually was rather personable, mm-hmm. um, as a, as a child and, um, it, it, you know, in the, my early part of my career as well, mm-hmm. but I didn't necessarily understand the importance of quote unquote networking or just building relationships in general, uh, up until my late twenties. Um, and then from that point forward for the last really four years, I've, I've just doubled down on it. Um, for, for kind of many reasons, but right. um, yeah, it wasn't always an area of focus. So I want to get into the, the mastermind talks and the whole networking uh, world <laughs> and how you created a, an incredible, incredible movement essentially from it. But before I go there, I want to kind of dig a little bit into the background. So you, you dropped out of high school, right? And you became like a, a mechanic, right? You were fixing up cars. Yeah, yeah. So I, I dropped out of high school. But throughout high school, I was working almost full time hours at IKEA, actually. Oh, really? Um, and I was making good money back then for you know a kid in high school. I was making sometimes more than what the teachers were making because <laughs> I was working close to forty hours a week. And wow. uh, because of that, I had you know a lot of disposable income. So I, I put a lot of money in cars back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, ultimately, when I left high school, because I just I mean I there's certain concepts like algebra and math and those kind of things that I just couldn't grasp. Uh, I just gave up and pursued being on a, an automotive performance mechanic and did that for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. And uh, enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the creative side of uh, of it because I wasn't necessarily doing just standard routine maintenance. I was I was doing more uh, customization work and, and those kind of things. And mm-hmm. then ultimately, one day I remember I was doing a brake job on a car, and I went to the wash basin and I blew my nose, and it was full of brake dust. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm like, something's just wrong with this picture. And I looked to my right, and I I saw my uh, the owner of the shop at the time, who was in his mid 30s, holding his elbow because he had ten tendonitis because of the impact guns Mm. and something felt off and later on that day at lunch while i was waiting for my food i was just fiddling around with my phone and i'm like i wonder what the average lifespan is for a north american male (laughs) the answer the answer was 80 years right so i was just still waiting there and just fiddling around i pulled out my calculator and i'm like i wonder what that is in the perspective of days and the (laughs) answer is twenty nine thousand two hundred. Um, oh, and God. being 18 at the time, I took that figure and multiplied that by 365 days, which gave me 6,500 days. And when I saw my life in a perspective of days that I had already lived 6,500 out of my 29,000, if I'm lucky, if I don't get hit by a bus tomorrow or, <laughs> or you know, get some kind of random, uh, disease or illness, um, it really created a sense of urgency because when you're 18, you think you're going to live forever and you have a ton of time and all those kind of things. But when I could see the days kind of ticking by. It, uh, I knew, I, I knew I had to kind of focus on things that, that mattered to me. So I actually quit that afternoon. 
And then I actually became a, a car salesman on the weekend that weekend because I've never been one for without work. But I, I knew you know car sales wasn't going to be my my path to greatness. But I, I uh, just want to pursue something that would kind of carry me over. And one day when uh, somebody came in to buy a car, I was doing it for about a month. And I was doing actually really good at it. Um, uh, entrepreneur, oddly enough, came in to buy a car and he took three days off of work to buy a car. He knew the make, model, year, color, everything he wanted, <laughs> but he just wanted the best price like everybody does. Yeah. And at the time, I'm like, this is a terrible investment of your time to take three days off of work to <laughs> save a couple hundred bucks. Um, you could you know, most likely pay somebody and they could do the car shopping on your behalf. So I was going to start a, a business geared towards automotive uh, mm. shopping, but the plague of most entrepreneurs is they want to be everything to everyone. Yeah. Um, so I decided to start a concierge business instead, which was – our slogan was like if it was legal, moral, and would save you time, we'll take care of it. <laughs> so I do everything from chauffeuring people's parents around to picking up groceries to – breaking up with people's girlfriends are you serious um, you broke up with people's yeah, girlfriends very much so no <laughs> anything that was yeah i mean what? as long as legal moral and they pay 70 dollars an hour we'd pretty much do it i had a hard time breaking up my own girlfriends at the time <laughs> oh but uh, um, 70 bucks an hour to break up with someone's girlfriend no, no that's not too yeah. bad i could do that you well know, the only thing is those 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 um i guess those requests were very short i mean <laughs> to break up with somebody's girlfriend doesn't take like 10 hours it only right. takes like you know an hour so <laughs> right, right. i was only making 70 70 bucks per breakup but per i literally break. walk up to somebody's door and be like here you know joe doesn't want to be Wait, door to door uh, you couldn't call them up and be like sorry or to send a text like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> send them a facebook message yeah. no I, I, it would usually involve like there has had to be some kind of physical uh face-to-face -face interaction because they had like stuff to give back oh, or, or those goodness. kind of things so um so yeah so that's uh so i i started that business and that went relatively well but when people thought of the word concierge back in the day, and it's mm. still the same today, they thought of a hotel concierge. Yeah. And when they thought of a hotel concierge, oftentimes they thought of concert tickets. So people start to come to us for concert tickets, and we would source them through big ticket brokers and all these websites, and they, these websites would charge just huge fees. So we started stocking our own little inventory to save our clients money, and uh, ultimately, people just kept on coming back and coming back, so we decided to pivot from that service-based business to the product-based business of um, a secondary ticket uh, mm -hmm. market, I guess you could say. We became the second largest wholesaler in Canada in about wow. four years. Um, with no outside investments, and um, yeah, grew that grew that business until uh, I realized it wasn't for me. So you were doing five million at the peak. You're doing five million a year. We and actually doing about six, seven million. But yeah, okay, we, yeah, we, six, we're, seven we're definitely well, healthy in the seven figures. And then something really bad happened, right, uh, with your partner. And that business, well, yes and no. Yeah, so I had a partner early on in the business mm -hmm. um, where we were both relatively the same size um, businesses. Mine was a little bigger. His wasn't. Um, and we were somewhat competing. And we were going up against much bigger, uh, more uh, legacy kind of ticket brokers in our, in our markets. Mm -hmm. So I came up with the genius idea of why don't we partner together? We're friends. We talk all the time about you know this this business and this industry. Um, why don't we partner together? So uh, that's what we did. The partnership lasted probably about a month. Oh my <laughs> goodness! Less than that. I'm wow. not necessarily sure. Um, 
but uh, I realized, you know, really quickly we had different. Uh, there was no alignment in values. There was no alignment in vision. Um, he was much more. He wanted to take, kind of take his foot off the gas and wasn't uh, as much of a hard worker as I thought he was. I was much more. I want to make as much money as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of misalignments there. Um, and ultimately, in the end, it was it was not a pretty kind of scenario. He uh, he actually ended up taking me for a good six figures um and uh i ended up in the hospital because of stress because the whole situation i was 23 years old and i had kidney uh, complications because of the the level of stress i was i was running into so um yeah i've had a uh that was probably my my biggest brush with uh or biggest failure when it comes to a, a business partnership and thankfully it was very early on in that business um but once i overcame that then we grew to that six seven million a year mark and um got to a point where i mean a couple things happened i mean uh i was living the life i was traveling the world making a ton of money but with all that money and all that free time i start to ask myself questions like why am i here will i be remembered how many people show up to my funeral and i was not happy with the answers i was giving myself jason i'll uh, show up to your funeral i'll be there <laughs> um, and uh, well, not clear, clearly now I'm on the right track. Yeah, back yeah. then I wasn't sure too many people would show up to my funeral. <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah, there came a point where I, I realized I was, you know, I was earning 22 times national average income, which was bothersome to me mm-hmm. because I was like, I'm not 22 times happier than the average male. I'm not 22 times healthier. I mean, at the age of 23, I had kidney complications because of stress because mm-hmm. of that failed business partnership. So I realized that money and happiness scaled very differently. And after being an entrepreneur for seven years, ultimately came to the discovery that I built a business I hated to enable me to buy things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. Hmm. And I felt like I was stuck on this hamster wheel that I simply couldn't get off. And um, Were you married? I wasn't. Oh, hold on. Was I? Yes. No, I wasn't. No. Because hmm. what happened was right after that, um, <laughs> I decided to scale the business down to zero. I could what? have positioned it for acquisition. I know. Crazy, eh? What uh, <laughs> the hell's wrong with in you? In hindsight, it worked. But <laughs> at the time, people thought I was crazy and rightly so. Right. Because I could have, you know, if I would have stayed in that business for another year, I, I could have exited for a healthy seven figure sum. Right. Um, most likely, well, yeah, yeah, definitely, I could have. Wow. Um, but the thing is, is I was just, well, I'm the type of individual that once I know, once I have a level of awareness or clarity, or I know a certain truth, I can't shy away from it. So I can't fake a year of my life, um, and I can't do something I don't want to do. So when I saw like I'm on the wrong path, just like that, when I quit being a mechanic a few years back, mm. um, I had to make a change that day, and the, that change was. I was going to scale that business down to zero instead of staying in it for another year to position it for sale. And that the plan was when I scaled down to zero, I'll have a little bit of money left as runway to start something new. Well, uh, I always say it was the death of a thousand paper cuts. I start to detach from the business. I had B players in the business who had C players under them. So the business from a cultural perspective kind of cannibalized from the inside out. Uh, I'm sure there was probably theft going on at one point in time because it was very a cash-focused business as mm-hmm. well. But I could care less. I just wanted out. And um, getting out, I did. On the, on the way down, two things happened that were beyond my control that ultimately left me a quarter million dollars in debt in August of 2012. Um, and to loop back on your question about if I was married, uh, I was engaged at the time, oh, and I got my- married 
Wow. Uh, September 1st. So everything, the house of cards fell July and August. September 1st, I got married with my wife uh, or to my wife in the Bahamas. And my daughter turned six months old. Um, so there's a saying that when one door closes, another one opens, but it sucks to be stuck in the hallway. That was a very <laughs> dark hallway <laughs> for me at the time or for us at the time. So, um, so yeah, I mean, rock bottom became the, the foundation on which I, I kind of rebuilt my life. Uh, and that was August of 2012. What was your wife thinking to, to marry you while you were a quarter of a million in debt? Oh God! Uh, I don't think she knew. <laughs> oh God! Uh, I, I don't. I don't. Know, I don't think she actually knew the extent of it because wow. I didn't even know the extent of it because we were, I like the, the we still had like bills and that kind of stuff and we just the bank account kept on getting lower mm-hmm. and lower and uh, um and ultimately till it was like zero and then credit cards just kept on racking up and crack, racking up so oh, we kind of almost never knew where we stood. Um, I definitely knew I was in a bad bad financial position, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a there's a saying. How's the saying goes? That a woman's loyalty is tested when her man has nothing, and yeah. a man's loyalty is tested when he has everything. Mm. Um, and wow. uh, yeah, and so yeah, she she stuck <laughs> stuck by me at that point in time, which was you know she could have uh, definitely it was pre marriage, so she could have bounced, I guess, on some level, but uh, thankfully she didn't. How do you get out of that rut? Because there's, there's there's a lot of people listening to this that they may be in debt, but it's like and even and even. You know, ten thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand dollars of debt. It, it it's still very. It, it's like a heavy stone that you feel like you just can't carry. Yeah, if quarter of a million. It's a whole different. You know that that's a mountain. That's not a stone. I mean, how do you mentally and emotionally deal with that? I think I think it's all relative on some level. Um, only because, like, I remember uh, listening to Marie Forleo. She was talking mm-hmm. once. She's like, "Oh, I was, re- you know, really in debt when I started my business and all this kind of stuff." And I was like, "Oh man, I'm excited to hear how much debt she was in." And she was <laughs> like, "She had ten thousand dollars of debt or something like that." <laughs> and I'm like, ten thousand dollars." I'm like, <laughs> "I find that in my seat cushion. Like, that's that's crazy." Um, but conversely, like, you know, Chris Saka, who is one of the most successful, uh, investors in today's day and age, Hmm. um, you know, he, I think at one point in time, he, he got sued or something like that in his last business. And they were like, he was like four or $6 million in debt and built his way out of that. So I think it's, it's all kind of relative for Hmm. me after building a seven figure business, you see a hundred grand come in one day and 300 grand go out the other and, Hmm. you know, eight and come in like it's so they're big numbers but they're just kind of numbers um so i definitely don't uh i guess look down if somebody's struggling with like fifteen thousand or twenty thousand dollars of student debt to me that's not a big deal but it doesn't mean it's not a big deal to to them i've just been exposed to kind of bigger numbers and other people have been exposed to significantly bigger numbers than me right uh as far as so yeah, I mean, it was a it, it wasn't even just the, the financial stuff that was going on at the time. It was um, the my identity was tied to the business. So when the business crashed and burned, uh, I'm like, well, now what? Um, you know, will I, will I lose my friends because my friend I was associated with the successful business. I'm not successful anymore. Mm. Um, so I lose my quote unquote successful friends. Um, you know, I was adapting to to being. Uh, husband i was adapting to being a father which was really difficult for me at the time so there was a, there was a lot of things that just kind of compounded um that uh it was just far beyond the the the, the monetary side of things mm-hmm. for me at the time but, um yeah that was definitely a big thing that i needed to tackle because i didn't necessarily know how we were going to make rent month wow. over month 
That's incredible. And how did you, like, I guess, what were the first things you started doing and how did you get into um, mastermind talks? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, so um, so how the mastermind talks came about was basically uh, in August 2012 was when everything happened. September, I got married. In October, a friend of mine posted on Facebook that she had an extra ticket to go see Seth Godin in mm, New York. I love Seth. And I've always been a big fan of Seth's work, never had an opportunity to kind of see him in a live, intimate environment. Yeah. And I had no other, no other obligations at the time. So I'm like, uh, I'm going to take advantage of this. So I, I, I picked up the ticket. Uh, I went. I, I remember booking this. Like, I don't, it wasn't, even, I don't know if I consider it a hostel. I didn't know that you could rent hotels that had shared washrooms. Uh, <laughs> until I, uh, but, anyways, I, I was at this, uh, this workshop, didn't even know what it was about. And it How much out the was theme it? I think it was probably about $2,000. So can I just, because this is very interesting to me. A guy who's in so much debt, you would think it's completely counterproductive to go into more debt and spend, oh, honey, I'm just going to spend another $2,000. Like, I would imagine your wife going, what the hell are you doing? Go get a job. What are you spending $2,000 on, on an event for right now? You, you know, you don't have money to throw around. Sure. Well, I mean, I definitely – so uh, to clarify, I definitely would have paid the $2,000, uh, but the ticket was actually given for free. I oh, just had to okay. pay my flight accommodations. Um, but I have thrown many Hail Marys, I guess, in the past. <laughs> I'll explain one, a okay. bigger one yeah. uh, in a second. But, uh, so, yeah, I went to this workshop, didn't know what it was about. Turns out the theme of it was a connection economy and how there's huge value connecting like-minded individuals. Mm. And at the time, I felt very isolated um, as an entrepreneur. So I started these things called mastermind dinners where I'd invite – eight entrepreneurs out for dinner with the core focus of connecting them. And the first one I did almost canceled two hours prior because I'm like, nobody's going to see value in this. They're going to think I completely wasted their time. <laughs> right. But thankfully, uh, I couldn't cancel being like two hours to showtime. So <laughs> I went through with it. It turned out to be a huge success. And I just got clarity that connecting people was something I wanted to do to some capacity for the rest of my life. And not necessarily as a business because I wasn't monetizing these dinners. I was actually paying for them out of pocket. And people wow. obviously thought it was crazy. They didn't know the full story. Uh, like I didn't tell people my my financial <laughs> position and then pay for dinner. Nobody <laughs> knew. Um, but the way I justified it at the time was that the bank could take my car, they could take whatever measly assets I have left, but they can't take my relationships. Hmm. Investing my relationships to me was the safest investment I could make back then, and I still think this, the same is true today. So um, continued on with these dinners, and then – um, when was the in, breakthrough point with the dinners? Because obviously at the beginning, you probably just had some low-level entrepreneurs. They kind of came, had a good time, fine. When was like that, that kind of breakthrough moment where you're like, oh my goodness me, I've got, you know, them to dinner, you know? Uh, so I actually, I actually had a really good group the oh. first um, dinner. And only because, not because I knew them. What I did was I looked at, there was um, a magazine called Profit Magazine in Canada, which is very similar to like the Inc. 500, yeah. where it identifies the top 500 businesses in the country. Um, and what I did was this list just came out. So I looked up, um, God knows how many hours I spent going through this magazine, <laughs> trying to find the contact information for these entrepreneurs. And then I, I would reach out to them all or all the ones locally and say, hey, I'm doing a dinner for profit alumni, people who've been featured in the magazine. Ah, smart. Um, such a date. Yeah. Uh, and so I didn't make it about me. I made yeah. it about them and connecting them around it. Love that. Um, and truth be told, I mean, I probably 
God, I probably had like a 5% response rate. It wasn't anything really? sexy, but I only needed eight people for the dinner. Um, but as far as like, and maybe like a, I made it thing is, you know, again, back then I was getting a 5% response rate. I did a dinner in New York probably last year, or if not two years ago, for uh, I invited four, 34 people mm-hmm. uh, in New York. They are all New York Times bestselling authors, restaurateurs, um, just well-known entrepreneurs and, and that kind of stuff. And out of the 34 invites, I sent 33 uh, showed up. Wow. And the one person who um, like told me in advance he wouldn't be able to come because he had a date conflict, but 33 people showed up. Amazing. Um, and at that point, I'm like, wow, like, wow, things have changed on that front because it was so it was so hard to fill these dinners initially. Um, so yeah, I did you call? The, did you call them or did you send like an email out? Uh, email. So you, yeah, you, they, you were, just, they were right. So you just emailed people cold, and then you waited for a response. Yes. Yeah. So I would uh, I would email people cold, um, especially you know for the first few dinners. I don't do that anymore. I don't do like cold outreach anymore. Right. Um, only because I'm in a grateful position where I don't have to do that necessarily. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it was always just cold emails. So I'm just picturing you for a second because you said you're an, you're you're an introvert by nature and you don't like kind of the limelight, but then. I can imagine your first dinner, you're having eight completely random strangers to your house and you've got a host and you've got to make things like whenever I have guests for dinner, my wife's always like, just make sure that you entertain them. Like, you know, make sure that you (laughs) don't let it get awkward. And I'm always like, don't worry, honey, I've got this, you know, don't worry. So you've got these complete strangers. I mean, how do you get out of your comfort zone and, and, and make things happen so that it's not like awkward and silent and weird? Yeah, well, I was I was nervous as hell, um, and I, you know, I've done God knows I've easily hosted thousands upon thousands of entrepreneurs, especially if you include our mastermind talks dinners that we do, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I still get nervous. Uh, really? I don't I don't say I still get equally nervous, but I still get very very nervous at really? every dinner I I host, and I still show up an hour in advance to make sure we have the right tables and set up seating arrangements and, mm-hmm. and those kind of things. Um, so I, I think that nervousness is an indication I, that it matters and that I care immensely about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day I lose that nervous nervousness, it's probably an indication that. Uh, yeah, maybe I should pursue something else, but uh, I'm still very, very nervous uh, when I do it. As far as that first dinner is concerned, um, you know, the one thing I've noticed is that when you when you connect people who share an uncommon commonality, conversation just flows. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning, if I walk out on the street right now and, and meet a thousand people, I forget what the statistic is, but let's say statistically, and I think this will probably be on the high side, statistically, let's say 5% of them are entrepreneurs. Well, if you put those 5% together in a room, mm. they're bound to, to get it off um, yeah. and, 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 and get along. Um, however, the deeper the uncommon commonality, the deeper the bond. So if you put a, a group of entrepreneurs who, are, uh, who have businesses of seven figures, that's an even uh, more niche group, I guess you could say. So they would uh, most likely get along even better. Or people with eight-figure businesses or nine-figure businesses, it doesn't even have to be around entrepreneurship. If you put a bunch of Olympians together, um, you know, they'll get along just fine. If you right. put a, a bunch of mommy bloggers together, same thing, right? So. Mm. That was one thing is the the curation of the – I mean that's the key to all these dinners is curation. That's it. I mean the food can be subpar, although we look for you know exceptional establishments and that kind of stuff. 
but the curation of, of everybody in the seating arrangements usually is 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 the key. Um, so when I did that first dinner, they were all entrepreneurs and they were all featured in this magazine. Um, so they're entrepreneurs who are kind of fascinating on some level. And uh, so thankfully, conversation just flowed. The only thing I had to do um, was uh, kind of facilitate conversation because at one point in time, it was very heavy on one end of the table because mm-hmm. it was these two tech guys at one oh, end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they were talking about like, you know, emerging technologies and new <laughs> laptops and all this kind of stuff. And Geeks. they just dominated a lot of the conversation yeah exactly and it was i mean everybody kind of enjoyed it listening yeah. to these guys talk about it because they were very excited about it mm. and everybody kind of chimed in a little bit here and there but they dominated mm. uh and on the end of the opposite end of the table i had a guy who owned a moving company so it couldn't be any further from what he's <laughs> you know this one guy's like fiddling around with like ai and stuff like that and this guy owns like you know one of the most traditional brick and mortar businesses you can have right um so I ended up having to pull him in into the conversation, and it turned out uh, like he was on a TV show similar to like Shark Tank. Hmm. Um, and uh, then after that, the tech guys were like giving him advice on like you know marketing and on his business and those kind of things. And one of the things that happened in that in that dinner as well was that I realized that no matter what industry you're in, we all face similar pains hmm. as entrepreneurs, whether it be um, you know human resources or capital or cash flow or partnerships or those kind of things so um so really when you put a bunch of great people together conversation really kind of flows um and it's i play more of a facilitator role than anything else i'm actually like it's it's quite quite often that i host a dinner and i don't eat Really? Uh, I just huh. walk around, make sure everybody's having a good sounds time. Like, sounds sure like my wife. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll, yeah. I'll I'll host. You know, I'll, I'll make sure they're getting their their drinks. I'll make sure everybody's having a great time. I'll make sure everybody's talking. Those kind of things. Um, I the dinners are not about me at all. Mm-hmm. You must have a lot of patience, Jason, because like I'm just thinking about the situation. Like you weren't. It wasn't like you were a wealthy guy and you had money coming in, so now you can just make these dinners and connect and have a good time and wine and dine like like all the celebrities do. You were in a really bad situation financially, and then you're paying for people to eat. And I can imagine that it wasn't like they took out their wallets at the end and like, oh, let's you know give you money or or let's do a business deal to get like i'm I'm assuming that nothing really came out of it until i don't know how like it takes months for these things to to actually end up with an opportunity coming to to fruition right sure yeah i mean i mean steve jobs has a saying that you can't connect the dots looking forward you just need to trust that they'll somehow connect in the future mm-hmm. and you know doing these dinners i didn't i didn't see an roi uh, or expect an ROI from it. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And I saw the value being created amongst everybody at the dinner and people staying in touch after the dinner and becoming really close friends and working together and partnering together and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know a way of monetizing it. I didn't think of a way to monetize it. I, I, I just, it wasn't even, again, on my radar as a potential business opportunity. But the way I looked at it was that um, I was going to take care, I was really close to declaring bankruptcy at the time and i'm like the bank could take my car they could take whatever measly assets i have left but they can't take my relationships investing in my relationships to me is the safest investment i can make and um mm, so that's that, why i continued on with these that, dinners that really ended up paying off because you ended up starting uh, mastermind talks right how did you go from dinners to talks yeah so um so how that happened and it's a, i guess a rather unique story so i uh in November, um, November, December, Tim Ferriss, who's somebody I met a year prior, um, was coming out with a book called The 4-Hour Chef. 
Oh, yeah. And uh, up until that time, he had two New York Times bestsellers under his belt. He had four-hour work week and four-hour body. Obviously, the expectation is that the third book's going to be a New York Times bestseller (laughs) as well. However, uh, it turns out three weeks prior to the launch of his book that he was going to be banned from all retail distribution. So Barnes & Noble, Costco, Walmart, everybody. Wow. And the reason for that is because he was the first big-name author to publish through Amazon. And traditional retail, specifically Barnes & Noble, wanted to make an example out of him. Mm. So Tim being one of the best marketers I know in general, but in the context of book marketing, what he did was he created these book bundles where if you bought a thousand, if you bought like five books, you get additional resources. If you bought... 50 books, maybe he'd do a webinar with you. He mm. had this Hail Mary package that he didn't think anybody would really buy. Uh, that if you bought 4,000 books, he'd do two speaking engagements. And 4,000 books. Wow. 4,000 books. That's yeah. A lot of books. And uh, at the time, and they're not small books. <laughs> no. Nothing that Tim big. works on is small. <laughs> Four hour work week was the smallest book. Everything since that I is know. like an encyclopedia. So, um, <laughs> So it was 4,000 books, and basically I thought of a friend of mine uh, named Scott who runs these big events in Canada uh, because I'm like, you could – I sent him an email, and I'm like, listen, Tim doesn't speak that often. He's never spoken in Canada. You could easily move these books, this great opportunity. Mm -hmm. The minute I clicked send on that email, I knew Tim was only offering one package. And the minute I clicked send, I said, you know what? This is a great opportunity for anybody. Um, I'm going to message Tim directly and say I'm going to take these books. Um, So I emailed Tim. directly and uh he responded right away and uh so that's that's how it happened i basically committed to buying the four thousand books uh the problem was uh that i had to come up with eighty four thousand dollars in three days (laughs) and that was problematic because well not only was i debt but I've never asked for like I've never raised money for anything in my life. Mm. I've never asked anybody for for money. I built all of my businesses on credit cards. I was born uh, with the belief system: you never ask anything from anybody. So um, that morning, I reached out to to three friends who were not none of them were really super close friends, but three friends uh, regardless. And um, I asked. Uh, the first guy, um, about, or I told the first guy about the opportunity. He said, you know, sounds interesting. Um, you know, come back with me, come back to me with some numbers. And I was like, shit, I don't have numbers. I don't even know how this business or this industry works. <laughs> um, so I'm like, all right, let me, I'll loop back with you. The second person said, uh, sounds interesting. Let's do a business together, 50-50. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. Um, I just have one more person to call. Third person I called um, said, uh I mean, really didn't care too much about the deal, didn't talk about repayment terms, just said, come to my office tomorrow, pick up the check. What? I didn't question it. I hung up the phone, and I following morning, I picked up that check, um, and uh, I took the money, deposited it, wired it to, to Tim, and I bought the 4,000 books. Oh, my God. And ultimately, I just saw it as a chance for me to do what I do in these dinners on a larger scale. So instead of having eight entrepreneurs at a dinner, I could have 100 together in a room. And I just planned to do one event. Uh, my goal was that... Uh, I, I had no other projects keeping me focused on the future at the time. So I'm like, at least if I have this six months out, I'll be focused on that. And then after that, I'll, I'll explore how I can, you know, start a business or make money, you know, what's going to be my next venture. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know the f- five six months leading up to the event it uh when it actually the event came it turned out to be a big success and i always say that ignorance confidence and hard work can go a long way when you're an entrepreneur uh i simply did not know what i was doing uh when it came to putting on an event and because of that it was actually much more similar to like a wedding huh. than it was a conference because we did like seating arrangements and all this kind of stuff stuff that i thought this is what events sh- must do. Um, turns out nobody did. And uh, yeah, so the first event turned out to be a big success. So we decided to do a second one to prove that the first one wasn't a fluke. And the second second one was a big success as well. Um, so we just wrapped up our fifth one in Carmel uh, in a few months ago. And we have our 2018 one planned for September of next year. That's amazing. And at this point, um, how many people do you expect to, to join? Uh, well, so we cap the event at 150 people annually. So we've had um, a little more than 16,000 entrepreneurs apply for the what? event since our in 2013. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, and it's a big, sexy number to throw around. But truth be told, it, you know, finding great entrepreneurs or great people in general is like it's like a needle in a haystack. Uh, so we haven't really uh, looked at our application list in the last two years. The only way to really get on our radar is by being nominated by somebody in our community. Because uh, I'm a firm believer that amazing people know other amazing people, mm-hmm. so it makes very little sense for us to allocate a ton of bandwidth, like rifle, like really trying to go through all these applications. When you know somebody like a Cameron Harold has referred, you know, eight people to us over the years, and they've all been phenomenal fits. Yeah. So, um, so that's been our it's it that's been our I guess our our process. I mean, when you have success in this industry, the common strategy to scale is more events or bigger events. And instead of scaling a size every year, we scale by raising the price. Because mm-hmm. our first event was a thousand dollars, our last event was ten thousand. Ten thousand so dollars for a seat. Uh, yeah, for the three days. So that wow. every year the price goes up, and also, so we raise the the price, and we also raise the caliber of people in attendance. Mm-hmm. So just because you are allowed last year doesn't mean you're allowed back this year. Um, and that's been our our kind of strategy to scale. How do you filter through? I mean, what what are you looking for in an attendee? Yeah, so it's... Uh, and by the way, can so I just... I, I want to say something actually before that, which I think is so important here for, for the listeners. You've, you've essentially... <laughs> this is amazing. You've set yourself up in a position where not only are you not having to call people and email people and get a 5% rate of, of acceptance, you now are the person who's saying... Nope, 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 nope. 16,000 applicants. Nope, I'm only accepting 150. I'm charging $10,000. And I'm very, very specific on who I want. Like, you literally are like, you're in control. Like, you can work with whoever the hell you want. And I love it. It's, it's, there's so much. It's amazing your journey that you've gone through. That you've, uh, do you know what I mean? It's like, and, and, and I think that the reason why that's happened is because you didn't go for the money you went for the relationships and because of that because you've become sort of like just the guy who's facilitated people have just like been drawn to you like i'm, I'm serious like the people i speak to they talk about you like you're it, it's amazing i mean serious like you're like it's incredible i'm really i'm really like what? humbled by you i really i'm inspired i really am it's incredible well, I appreciate it. I'm uh, I'm very blessed. I mean, we have 150 people at Mastermind Talks. I'd easily have 135 of them to my wedding. I mean, they're some wow. of my cl- they are my closest friends. I mean, we we vacation together. We do my 95 percent of my life from a social perspective is surrounding myself with these these great individuals. So, uh, no, I'm the one who's very blessed. I'm I'm very very grateful. 
Wow. And you know what's also interesting? James Altucher said that he doesn't accept a lot of invitations. Like he's a really, he's really busy and very, very picky guy. Um, but and he quirky. said, <laughs> and quirky. I love his style of writing though. Um, but he says that he goes to mastermind talks because it's, it's, it's life changing. That's huge mm. from someone like that to say that, you know, it's not, he doesn't just go around saying that that's like a big deal. Um, and I, and I was kind of like thinking like, what about this event is, so different from all the other there's so many events that that people put on like there's so many events throughout the year and for james altucher to say that this is a life-changing event like what is it about the event that's so different yeah it's uh it's it's quite simple um it's community it's that simple yet it's that hard um i think in today's day and age we are I don't think I know in today's day and age, we are just yearning for, for community. I always say we're drowning in contacts uh, and connections, but we're yearning for, for community. And um, that's what we create for the people to come to, to mastermind talks. I mean, the people who have been there year over year. Cameron's been there. This will be a sixth event. Mm -hmm. uh, he has not missed an event. Um, and he's a, like a Ted speaker and like, you know, he's, he's, he's good. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like he goes to a little, it's very rare that you have like a lot of speakers in your, in your community. Um, because they're oftentimes, you know, all events are, are kind of the same, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, the most common things that we get in the feedback forms, uh, you know, the common words is, is connection, community, uh, you know, family. A lot of people refer to Mastermind Talks as, as family, and that's really what it's become uh, for a lot of people. So um, that's what we provide. I mean, we always say that people may come to our event for content, well, but but what gets them coming back year over year is community, and that's that's our our, our big focus. Because what it makes very little sense. So we've made this shift over the last couple of years. It, was, it wasn't always like that. I mean, mm -hmm. I I wasn't this genius early on that I was like, oh, we're gonna be, I'm gonna push community. Um, I want it to be the TED Talks for entrepreneurs years ago we had 15 speakers compete for the best talk is voted by the audience in year one through three hmm. um but what happened was every year the biggest so the, the biggest name speakers were never in the top five it was always the unknowns that won the event mm -hmm. um and then when we did our first event we had 15 speakers 10 of them came back as paid attendees the following year because of the quality of the people in the group hmm. um and the more and more i'm, I'm not a genius but i'm just i'm very good at paying attention to feedback and taking action on, on feedback um you know and year and over year every time we get our feedback forms like the thing that people enjoy the most about the experience is the people um so we've moved away from from content and focused more on on connection i mean if i could boil down the essence of mastermind talks to anything it's great people great food great experiences with learning intertwined throughout the event. Cause my belief is that the best learning doesn't happen in the conference room. It happens over yoga in the morning or it happens <laughs> over yeah. drinks after dinner um, or some kind of unique experience. That's, 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 you know, that's scarce uh, in today's day and age. So mm -hmm. that's what we provide uh, ultimately. So it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's our secret sauce and I put it out there cause it's, it's not easy to create. No, um, and it's not like I created either. We all created as obviously as a, as a group, as a community. Uh, I'm just really the bouncer at the front door mm -hmm. to make sure like, you know, no jerks come in uh, <laughs> who are rowdy or <laughs> cause trouble or those kind of things. I just, uh, you know, a lot of people outsource their quote unquote networking uh, to me and by coming to mastermind talks, that's, that's kind of the service that we provide. How did you, I mean, you got, we heard the story about Tim first, which was incredible. And, and the biggest thing I took out of that was you literally put your, 
you know, you, you put your life on the line. You, you kind of said, I'm, I, I really believe in this and I'm going to do it and I don't care what the consequences are going to be. And I, I love that. Like, it was so gutsy. Um, I don't even know where you stored those books, by the way. Forget about the money. Where'd you store the 4,000? I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I still have 3,500 copies. What? So if anybody wants the, the thing is, they, they cost more to ship than what they're worth because <laughs> um, they're so big and heavy. So, yeah, they are... Um, they're oh. Kindle at this point for me. Oh my goodness, that's it. But how do you get the other big names like James Altucher and uh, you know uh, Guy Kawasaki and Gary Vaynerchuk? Like, how, how do you get those guys? Yeah, pretty. Uh, I don't say pretty simple. Hmm. Um, but for, so for our first event, um, there's something. There's a philosophy called. Uh, I actually talk about this uh, in the context of hosting dinners, but there's kind of two philosophies there's one that's um anchor tenants and the other one is working up the food chain so in the context of mastermind talks anchor tenants the philosophy around anchor tenants is if you have like a plaza or a mall that's just flailing you know that if you get an apple store or nordstrom it's going to bring in other premium brands mm. um, how i leverage that philosophy for mastermind talks is that i knew if i got tim i could get people who wanted to be connected with tim mm. to speak or people who are already connected with Tim, but they're never at the same place at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I can make the event almost a catalyst to kind of reconnect him and his friends. Mm -hmm. And the byproduct of that, which turned out to work out beautifully, is that Tim actually, most most events, a speaker comes out from behind a set of curtains, does their talk, and leaves. Um, all the speakers stay the entire duration of our first event. Wow. Um, like Tim Ferriss was there for all for all both days um and that's been like the theme ever since usually all the like the the speakers the quote-unquote speakers stay the entire uh duration of the experience so um so that's how i kind of built mastermind talks is i i knew like james altucher somewhat knew tim Uh, like tim brought a lot of credibility Mm -hmm. to what we were doing a lot of people thought the event was a scam um like they posted on tim i have screenshots like posted on tim's facebook page that like they would take a screenshot of our landing page and like hey is this this legit or this looks like a <laughs> you should know about it and those kind of things uh, and also i designed the original web page so it did look like a scam <laughs> that's why i built out the event i mean you know we had aj jacobs and aj jacobs and tim knew each other really well mm-hmm. but they haven't seen each other for four years so wow. that was an opportunity for them to see each other ryan holiday knows tim and works with tim uh lewis Howes. i met with that uh, at, at an event that tim put on um you know, there's a slew of speakers that that's how I pulled them in. So we just use that kind of anchor tenant philosophy. Wow. So you, you've been talking about it on a very large scale. I kind of want to like bring it down to, you know, for the sake of our listeners, how do you do it on a much smaller scale? Because, you know, there's a lot of people that go to networking events. They want to build their, their network. They understand the, the power of a network and a community. But how do you, how would you, what would you advise someone listening to this? To be able to start doing, uh, building their community and building the network on a on a smaller scale to start with, what would you suggest? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a slew of things. I think um, I think there's a lot wrong. I hate the term networking. Yeah. I use it because I don't know what else to call it. Um, right. But it's very. I mean, you look up the synonyms for networking. It's like schmooze and hobnob. <laughs> All these things that I'm like, I'm totally not this, but like I, I don't have any other way to express it mm. outside of relationships. But then people don't think relationships is is sexy enough, I guess. So, yeah. um, 
so yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a a bunch of things. It really depends where you are uh, on your kind of relationship journey. Um, I always used to preach that the key to a strong network is subtraction and not addition. Uh, I think that's one of the wow. big mistakes that a lot of people make is that they're you know they're adding thousands of friends on Facebook or thousands of contacts on LinkedIn. Um, and there's something called Dunbar's number, which basically has proven time and time again through research and, and science and all different types of case studies throughout history um, that we can't have more than 150 stable social relationships. Um, I don't care what social platform you're using. Uh, we have, we have a, basically a cognitive limit um, mm-hmm. from an evolution perspective. So some can accommodate a little more, but it's actually based on IQ. Some can accommodate a little more, some can can accommodate a little less, but we were never designed to live in a tribe of 500 people or 1,000 people or 5,000 okay. people. So that's always been my philosophy. Um, and I've always preached that, and people usually get a lot of value from that. However, um, you know, there's there's a saying that uh, Warren Buffett has that the difference between successful people and very successful people is that very successful people say no to almost everything. <laughs> so I'm at a point in my life where I already have a lot of great friends. I have very little desire to meet new people. I want to go deep with the relationships I have. Mm. But in order to say no to anything, you have to say yes to almost everything, right? So if you're very early on in your kind of networking um, uh, or relationship focus um you have to go to a lot of networking events and you know hopefully you'll find one or two gems um in those experiences or or those kind of things uh it's it's definitely it's a lot of work jason Uh, let's get practical for a second i've got about three and a half or four thousand friends on facebook right sure i mean are you saying (laughs) are you saying that i should now go and unfriend like you know 35 i I, I don't know 3500 or or 3,700 of them and only focus on 150 people and that's what I, I mean, and I want to, I want not, un, not unfriend, but unfollow. I don't, I don't, and I, you don't have to take it to 150. Right. Um, but do understand that from a cognitive perspective, there is no way for you to manage 3,000 relationships. Um, right. So for me, but how do you so avoid, how, yeah, how do you avoid like stepping on people's toes like people will reach out to you and be like hey jason how you doing buddy and like and they're not on your list like they didn't make your list of of you know the, the contacts that you want to really build deep relationships with do you uh well so so yeah so i get a lot of inbound requests mm-hmm. uh, obviously and uh with that said i do try my best to make time for people um like i definitely don't say like unfortunately you're not on my priority <laughs> uh, but the truth of the matter is, like relationships, it's uh, they're they're work, right? And mm-hmm. and oftentimes we invest a lot of energy in relationships we don't want because we're not conscious mm-hmm. about it. So it's really about becoming conscious of the relationships you want to kind of foster and cultivate. Um, so with that said, when people reach out to me for advice or those kind of things, I always try my best to to accommodate and and be of service as much as I can because getting back to that Steve Jobs saying you can't connect the dots looking forward, mm-hmm. and also. One thing that's in alignment with that is that a lot of people, when they the mistake they look they they make when it comes to networking, they play the short game. They want to be friends with Tim Ferriss or Richard Branson or Elon Musk and all those kind of folks. And the yeah. truth of the matter is, those people 
they're at the top and there's a lot of noise at the top uh, and they're not necessarily looking for for more friends for me my my biggest thing that i leverage is that i try to find people who are diamonds in the rough people who are undervalued uh, i almost look at investing in people like other people look at investing in a business mm-hmm. try to find somebody undervalued and invest in them any way i can not necessarily financially but through support or connections or just belief i think we can all remember a time when you know somebody believed in us when we didn't believe necessarily in ourselves and the 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 power of that um so so it's 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 a balance in that sense um, what does that look like what does that look like practically so let's say you've got your list of whatever however many people um how do you deepen that relationship what do you do are you getting on a phone with them are you taking them out for drinks like what what are you doing to build that relationship yeah, it's, it, it's it's a it's a mix. I mean, it could be um, yeah, it could be just a like I sent a check in email with a friend of mine. I haven't heard from him in about six months, and I just found out his in his reply he has Lyme disease. That's why he has oh. <laughs> he's been kind of down and out. Um, so like sometimes it's it's just email check ins. Sometimes it's uh, I'll try to you know I'll, I'll do a one on one lunch or I'll invite them to a dinner. Maybe I'll get eight of my closest friends together. I haven't mm. seen in a while. And I'll bring them all together for for dinner. That's actually something that Neil Strauss does. He's a, I think, probably eight-time New York Times bestselling author. What he does is that if there's a bunch of people that want to connect with him, instead of doing one-on-one coffee dates, he'll just bring everybody for dinner Hmm, um, and meet all of them in these like little micro sessions of like, because all you need, especially if you're meeting a lot of people um, who are new, you need. 30 seconds to 90 seconds with them to really assess do you want to go deeper in that relationship or not mm. um so that's kind of his philosophy but there's a, there's so many ways to invest in relationships i mean you know tim ferris's book came out uh two days ago um you know i was one of the first people to leave a review on amazon um uh-huh. like that's a way to invest in, in a relationship so there, there's uh right yeah there, there, there's many different ways do you um have like a system to track it all because even 150 people it's it's hard to know am i staying in touch with them enough you know do you have like a a spreadsheet i know it sounds crazy but like no it's it's not so well this is this is where i'm very against the traditional um gospel when it comes to networking because a lot of people make the mistake of falling into oh i need to check in with this person every 30 days or every 60 days they set these reminders and there's great crm platforms that will send you these reminders and say hey it's been so you know x many as many days since you've talked to, to daniel for example um the problem with that is that I've I've been the recipient of those emails that says, "Hey, it's been you know <laughs> two months since we chatted. Like, how are things?" And I'm like, "I'm busy. The last thing I need is like for me to like explain what's been going on. Like, it's not genuine." Yeah. Um. So what I I set my reminders around are around genuine um touch points. So for example, I know I just found out a friend of mine is having a child in February. Mm. So I put something in my, as a reminder for me in February to reach out to him and see how things are going. Mm. Um, or, you know, somebody starting a new business now, I'll check in in six months and see how the business is going. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just like, hey, you know, how are things <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Because then it puts the onus on me to give this like great update and I'm busy. Um, right. So there's, there's, there's that component to it, um, and then also again, I, we're at, we have this fear of like letting relationships. They do take a lot of um, um, effort, mm-hmm. oftentimes, um, but 
we also sometimes it's okay to let them not fall per se, but there's something called a dormant ties, and this was popularized by Adam Grant. And the philosophy around this is that, you know, if you went to you had a high school best friend, um, and ten years later, if you were to see them, maybe the first minute or two may be a little awkward, but after that, you pick up from where you left off. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, right? Yeah. And it's almost like if you listen your favorite song five years ago, you listen hear it again on the radio now, you may remember ninety percent of the words. It's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing, right? So. Just because you don't stay up to date with a, a relationship per se doesn't mean that you completely start from scratch the next time. So letting certain relationships slide um, is is fine to do as well. Okay. Wow. So we're at the uh, top of the hour. Um, this has been so valuable. It's incredible, um, Jason. What's um, the best way? I know we just said that you're a busy guy and you have your your, your yeah. part of you, but if people want to kind of get in touch with you or follow follow you and see what you're doing, because I, I honestly I highly recommend uh, those of you listening to to follow Jason, see what he's up to. Um, he's he's lit. You are like one of those guys that uh, you're like you're like the matchmaker. You like put people together, and there's so much power yeah. to it. In fact, uh, Tim Ferriss in his last book the tools of titans he had a whole chapter on that um what was that chapter called it was called uh uh i don't recall i, I remember i know we're in there it was uh, i own the book i haven't looked at it i just got his other book um yeah. the tribe of mentors another yeah. book I, I have to go through right. so <laughs> right yeah and so and so he talks about basically setting up a, a platform and and allowing people to basically being a facilitator which is exactly what you do so uh how what's the best way that they can get in touch with you and also how can they get hold of your book yeah so i mean mastermind dinners is is uh on amazon uh right now it came out probably good two years ago okay uh and that really i i set a little bit of a baseline to like my thoughts on on relationships but really focus more on like how to invite people for a dinner how to host a dinner um, and really just how to host experience in general because how you host a dinner is how you host a, whatever a coffee meetup or is how you host on some level an event. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Mastermind Dinners. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter uh, under Jason Gaynard. And then Community Made is a podcast I launched in September. And there is my next season. Season one was all about scale. Mm-hmm. Um, season two is actually all about relationships. Uh, nice. So that's going to be almost everything I know, how to grow, how to nurture and how to amplify uh your relationship efforts so um so yeah that's that's communitymade.com very cool so i'll be definitely checking that out um and for those of you that want to also check the show notes so all the links to everything we discussed will be there it's danielgeffen.com forward slash 115 jason thank you so much for letting me pick your brain and thank you to all my fellow brain pickers i'm looking forward (laughs) (laughs) you like that brain pickers Uh, (laughs) so cheesy but it's like you know it's like what everybody else is doing kind of thing you know you gotta have these like oh welcome top tribe and all that stuff you know what was uh eo fire fire nation fire nation fire nation so i've got i've got brain i've got brain pickers you know whatever uh so thank you to all my fellow brain pickers i'll be i'm looking forward to the time when i'll be picking your brain you've been listening to the can i pick your brain podcast inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth so to put these ideas into action head over to danielgeffen.com